What he says is, is that when you approach it, as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of men, he says it effectually worketh in those that believe. It's got a fruitful work to those who actually approach it that way. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Every week when we come together, uh, the objective is to encourage you in God's Word, to strengthen you in your faith uh, by talking about things like church history or about theology or uh, about different issues in church ministry and leadership. And, and so we're hoping that these things would strengthen you and, and cause you to have greater faith as it concerns God's use of you in His mission. Uh, now, the Bible Institute has a responsibility as we see it, a, a mission, a vision to mold every individual into the image of Jesus Christ that they might be mobilized uh, to minister the gospel all over the world. And so over the last decade, the school has built a curriculum that emphasizes the authority of the Bible and teaches an exegesis that honors its inerrancy. And so one of the resources that we use as a Bible school when we're teaching hermeneutics is a book called The Keys of Bible Study by Pastor Mark Trotter. Now this book has become a favorite to a lot of people and if you've been in the Bible Institute for any length of time, uh, you've probably read this book. But in The Keys of Bible Study, Pastor Mark teaches us basically how to study the Word of God so that anybody at any level or any place in their faith can understand how to pick up the Word of God and compare Scripture with Scripture in a way that speaks to their life and informs the way that we live. And so today on The Postscript, we have invited Pastor Justin Trotter, Mark's son and pastor of Cali Harbin Baptist Church in Villarica, Georgia, to talk about the very first key presented in his father's book, the keys of Bible study. And that is that is the topic of the key of David. That's what we're going to talk about today. And so with all that, I want to welcome Justin onto the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for being with us. Man, I'm glad to be here, bro. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, one of the things that you've been filling me in on uh, over the last few months is that you've had these opportunities to teach uh, a lot of different content, but but also the keys of Bible study to pastors in India who are being trained to lead their people to teach the Bible. And uh, this is kind of a common thing in our fellowship, is, is especially since COVID, is taking uh, our training and our development online and then using that as a resource to speak into the lives of pastors, whether it be in Africa or India. Uh, we've got Bible Institute students in LFBI that are in, in Vietnam and, and parts of, of Kenya and Africa and Latin America, all over the world. And so it's become really cool to see pastors developing pastors uh, online. And so this is one of the things you're doing. Tell us about it a little bit, about what you've been doing. Yeah, man, you know, to be able to utilize technology that way um, is, yeah, it's an unbelievable thing. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm rolling with some of the guys from the fellowship, from the Living Faith Fellowship, and we've kind of collectively come together to, to teach some of these pastors the keys of Bible study. You know, some of the, some of the things, obviously, that my, my dad was so passionate about. In fact, with this exact group that, um, that we've been training, my dad was involved with this mm. at the beginning. Um, and so they actually were familiar with him and they got to hear him, I think twice. Um, but this was kind of kicking off just shortly before, you know, everything, uh, went, went down the way that mm -hmm. it did. And so, 
Um, so anyway, but yeah, he was actually, actually a part of it. And, uh, and yeah, there's, there's some, man, some really good brothers in uh, Trivandrum, India. And, uh, and yeah, they just, they like, like many people, they start hearing things that they had never heard before and approaches to the Bible that they had never heard or seen before. And, you know, they, they were gravitating towards it. Like I got to hear sure. a little bit more about this. Yeah. And by the grace of God, they were receptive. And you and I both know just how pervasive charismatic theology is in, in that part of the world. And so, so yes. much reliance on experience and, and, um, you know, feeling, feeling your way through your faith. I'm sure hearing the keys of Bible study has, has basically been a paradigm shift for them in terms of the way that they approach um, living out Christ from day to day. Yeah, it, exactly. It really has. It's been, it's been very impactful. And in fact, uh, the main pastor that we're connected with there has, you know, even branched out and started reaching out to some of the other local pastors in his area, outside of obviously his local church and pulling them in. And we did a conference for them mm. not long ago and just kind of introducing them to, you know, again, some of these keys and, and different approaches to the Bible. And, and man, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a different world out there. In fact, that this pastor was uh, messaging me last night saying, Hey, can you pray for us? Cause one of our close affiliated churches that, uh, you know, that we're friends with nearby, you know, Hindu extremists came in and mm. started l physically beating them. Um, so, wow. you know, the, you know, it, it's, you know, yeah, it's wild. Cause you know, you look it, all through it, all through the Bible and, and, and of course through the Pauline epistles, you know, you're just seeing this thing of persecution come up over and over again and how you're going to handle persecution and how you're going to handle tribulation. And, and we have kind of lived in this bubble for this season of time, this, yeah. this period of time and in, in this place and history and in this location on planet earth where we have reaped these benefits of not mm -hmm. that that not being our reality um but i start right. to think that we might be crazy to think that that will always be our reality because <laughs> across history and in other places in the world that is not uh, that is not their reality Right. And I think that's where we have things to learn from pastors and leaders in places like this is that, that we might be able to bring to them some knowledge we've, that we've been afforded, right? Some truth of God's word that we've yes. been afforded, but what they have to teach us in return is what it means to suffer oh. well, right? Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing. My goodness, the amount of things we can and are learning from them as we're attempting to teach them some things too. Man. So for sure. Your dad wrote the Keys of Bible Study with the intention of making, a, you know, a hermeneutic, a biblical hermeneutic, easy for anyone to understand, right? So that it's not like difficult for the average Christian to pick up their Bible and to study it and to compare scripture with scripture. So he wrote the way that he preached, which is very accessible. Anybody can learn and understand even deep, deep, deep things, uh, because he was just such a phenomenal teacher. And so the keys of Bible study provides the, the student of God's word with really simple, easy truths that, they, that can be applied immediately to the study of God's word. Will you explain to us basically the contents of the book and, and what's in it and why you think it's so important? Yeah, you know, so, you know, the contents of the book, you, you've got uh, 10 keys of Bible study in there. Of course, you could 
the one we're talking going to be talking about today is, you know, kind of the eleventh, but we'll 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 call it right. ten. And so you've got these keys of Bible study in there, and and you know, just like you were, just like you were, had had mentioned, this was about um, people being able, anybody being able to approach the Bible and to be able to get something out of it. Right? You're not, you you don't have to go to some theologian or or somebody like this to actually learn it, but that God actually wrote it in a way that anybody could understand it. And if you, you didn't have to be ar- around my dad long to hear him, you know, quote Mark 12, 37, and, and, and the common people heard him gladly. And that always resonated with him because he viewed himself that way uh, as well. Like, wow, I can even, I can even get this. And that was what right. he was always passionate about as well. And he felt that, that Jesus was, was passionate about that. But, you know, of course, these are, you know, these are, are keys that are biblically identifiable keys of Bible study. And so you can learn those keys and, and, and by the grace of God, you know, grow in your relationship with him and grow in your walk with mm-hmm. him and continue to have a more intimate relationship as you're rightly dividing the word of truth. Again, that anybody can do it, not just a pastor and not just a whoever yeah intelligent guy and not just a guy with a seminary degree. Right. Which I think is what makes our fellowship unique and even LFBI unique is that we're not trying to necessarily um, uh, train up a million pastors, though that would be cool. Uh, we We want just average ministers in their church to be able to speak and understand the Bible as well as their pastors do, right? That they would be able to to minister and speak openly about God's word, not feel confused about hard questions. We're trying to give the average, you know, laity, for lack of a better word, the average volunteer in, in a children's ministry or the door greeter, the knowledge to be able to divide God's word at the same level that their pastor does, which I think is a pretty phenomenal and, and awesome opportunity. Yes, we want to put the word in their hand, not take it out. Right, you know, not not make it think that the guy up there flapping his gums is the only guy that can arrive at these mm-hmm. conclusions, you know. And and man, that is, yeah, that that that's huge. That yeah. and so yeah, so that was man by the grace of God. Uh, my dad got this book out when he did, and obviously, y'all's help was was instrumental and vital <laughs> in that process. And uh, man, to be able to to get some of these things uh, in our hands that are going to continue to live on are such a blessing. He, yeah, you know, he he used to he even used to talk about that a little bit when all of the when when he got sick. His a line that he said often was, "I need to write faster." Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that was that was his way of saying he wanted to continue to be able to provide these types of materials for us that we're going to continue mm-hmm. to live on so that that next generation coming up can continue to rightly divide the word of truth and, and grow in their relationship with the Lord. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are, there is more Mark Trotter material coming out. It's just, it's slow going, right? right. Trudging through all the yeah. sermons and, <laughs> and pu- compiling everything. It's, it's been, it's been difficult, but, but people should anticipate the fact that there'll be more Mark Trotter um, books in the future. Yeah, man. So, you know, in the very first chapter of the Keys of Bible Study, we, we encounter what, you know, is probably like the one principle 
or the one concept to rule over the keys of Bible study, right? Is there's right. this this we he refers to it the Bible alludes to it as this being this thing called the key of David. And um your dad does a wonderful job of using it as a way of teaching us the approach that we should take to all the other keys. Like there's a spirit that one should have right. uh, as they apply as they apply the other principles. And so um in your words, uh, what, it, what is the key of David, and why is it so important as we launch out into this thing called Bible study? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the key of David, you know, uh, my dad would usually say it something along the lines of, it's the key that unlocks the, all the other keys. And that there's mm. just, that, uh, uh, you know, when you're studying what the key of David is, right, you've, you've really only got those two passages that the key of David right. is referenced in the, the passage in Isaiah and the passage in Revelation. And, and you pick up some nuggets in those passages. Um, but of course, using the, the, the comparing the principle of comparing scripture with scripture or, or the key of comparison. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you can, you begin to understand that in more detail. And so yeah. You know, you you begin to ask yourself what was it about David that made made him unique, right? God could have called this key whatever he wanted. He didn't have to even name it mm-hmm. after a person. But he he calls it the key of David and he names it after a person and he names it after a specific person who has a title that nobody else is given, of course the man after God's own heart. And of course, mm-hmm. when you begin to read what it was that, that David had to say, you get some major insights into what the heart of this key is really all about. And, and yeah. so when, when you do that, and I think the classic case is you know you, you, uh, Psalm 119, right? You've got only you got the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And only two of the verses, what is it, 176 verses? You, whatever it is, yeah. there's only mm-hmm. two of them that aren't directly stating something about David's love for the Word of God. And so right. you look at that and, and you say, wow, he is obsessed with the Word of God. Interestingly enough, he's not talking a whole lot about the person of God, but he keeps talking about mm-hmm. the, you know, he keeps talking about the word of God. And so, you know, and, and, and of course, I, I think what he is, uh, what, what God is obviously trying to teach us is that you just can't disconnect those two. You can't disconnect mm-hmm. your love for the word of God from the love of God. And, and that, that passion mm-hmm. that David has for the word and that longing that you see him express in the Psalms and in, in these things, that is what's connected to this, this attitude and this approach to the Bible that we call the key of David. And that, that is something that was very unique to David. And, and, and I I think that's why he named the key that way, but, but we can never get too far removed from that, that passion and that longing and that, and that love, because it's, 
you know, that, that, that's what God is after. He, he's not after an intellectual exercise of this guy knows in his mind how, dispensationalism and rah, 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 and how to rightly divide and all mm-hmm. of these things. He knows these things. Well, that's, that's great. But do you love the God of the word? You know, and, and so that's right. what this whole key of David thing comes down to. And that's why, in my estimation, it's so huge. Yeah, and I think, you know, the point that you're making is really good, especially for our Bible students, because so much of the Christian world, so much of the seminary world, the training world in our faith is um, made up of maybe really well-meaning people uh, who desire knowledge, desire to know more of God's Word. But somewhere along the way, I mean, it's pretty common, uh, I don't want to generalize, but but for the sake of argument, I think it's pretty common for people to fall away from their love of the Lord. And and that's a byproduct of of not learning how to be in love with the Word of God. There's a lot of critical things that are said about God's Word. There's a lot of, of um, you know, undermining or dispelling of God's Word, but not a lot of people are walking away from seminary today in love with God's Word, obsessed with it, mm. and uh, full of greater faith than they were before. And so I think what you're talking about, and I think what your dad really wanted in expressing this concept was to show people that they could believe God's Word uh, at face value, but that they should love it with their whole heart. They should be obsessed with it. It should be the air that they breathe. Yes, yes. I mean, mo- you know, to your point, most seminaries are, man, it, it, you're leaving the seminary with more doubts than you had coming in. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're completely taking it out of your hands and, and obviously pushing the Greek and Hebrew and essentially where you arrive at is, is that, well, I, I can't truly, I can't truly know what God said. Right. That's ultimately where right. you arrive. That's the, the logical conclusion of the whole thing. Right. And, and so obviously we, we believe that we can trust the very words of, of God in English um, and, and in terms of what God has given us. And so let's, let's use the Bible now if, if we can. So you mentioned that the key of David is, is referred to twice in Scripture mm-hmm. um, and using comp- you know, the principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture, we could take those two usages and overlay them and derive some information. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read Isaiah 22, 20. Yeah. And then, and then maybe you can answer some questions for me about this very first passage of this first mm-hmm. reference. So I, Isaiah twenty two twenty says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Okay, so I think the first question here is who is Eliakim? And, and to follow that up is what is the significance of this passage in light of the key of David? Right, so Eliakim, he, he's a guy who God committed the, the government or he committed the authority to him to be, uh, you know, like the verse says, a, a father to the people of Jerusalem and of Judah. And so ultimately what we're uncovering 
through those verses that you're reading is, is that he ultimately had the authority and he had the, the access to, to the treasures of the kingdom and, and, mm-hmm. and that God gave him the key of David, right? And in, in, in that, that key of David, we know will, it opens doors to, to God's word and it opens doors to God's work. And so, you know, we start picking up some, some nuggets here about this key of David in this mm-hmm. passage that you read in Isaiah, just with this whole authority and access thing to the, to the mm-hmm. treasures of the kingdom with this whole key. And I love that, 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 you know, with us discovering that the key of David is in reference to authority and access, that we also can't forget the, the fact that Eliakim was like a father. Yes. And so one of the things we need to keep in our mind is that, is that as we gain the authority of God's word, as we gain the access of God's word, that there is a spirit of shepherding. There's like a t- there's a type of character mm-hmm. that that uses the word of God the right way. That that uses that authority in a way that's going to s- superintend or 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 going to shepherd people in a direction of faith and love in Christ. And so I think that's also an important thing to note about Eliakim is that he has the right spirit of a of a leader in the faith. Right. That's good. Absolutely. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read the second verse, and then I'm going to let you expound on the previous idea along yeah. with this one. I think this this is really where things begin to open up. So Re- Revelation chapter three, verse seven says, "And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write: These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth." And so you can already hear that there's a this is akin to what mm-hmm. we just read. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Okay, so again, just like in the other passage, there's some questions that we need to answer, one of which is, who is this church of Philadelphia, Um, you know, in terms of historically speaking and inspirationally speaking? But what makes them unique, and how does that connect to this overall idea of authority and access? Right. So, so God has given this church at Philadelphia. He He's given them the key of David, and He describes them. He, he says they they kept His word. They didn't deny. They didn't deny His name. It's the only one of the the seven churches there that that John is writing to. The only one without anything negative. To say to say about them, mm-hmm. and and so and of course like like you said, they repeat the, that same phrase: opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. That is consistently connected in both places to the key of David, and of course connecting that back to you know what we're calling authority and and access, and so. We're sitting here. We've obviously got a lot of years of church history behind us, and so you know we we have people much smarter than us have pulled out this concept years ago. Um, well, I won't say you much smarter than, much smarter than me. Maybe not much smarter than you. Oh, much smarter than me they, too. But they pulled out this whole idea, this whole uh, prophetic application, essentially of what was going on in this passage. Obviously, these were real churches. Uh, historically, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what was getting pointed to in the future was the fact that there was going to be a, a period of church history in which the same things that described these particular churches described this period of time in church history. And so uh, in, in mm-hmm. so from you know people we usually say between around 1500 and 1900 was the Philadelphian church period. And through this period of time, when you look back historically, what you see is, is that it does, it lines right up with what was going on with this historic church at Philadelphia and where Mm -hmm. you couldn't hardly find a negative thing to say about it. The God was doing, doing an incredible work. We saw mission, some of the greatest missionary movements that we've ever seen, some of the greatest revivals, some of the greatest preaching, and God was just moving and shaking in a way that that historically I don't I don't believe we've we've ever seen in in all of history. And what had happened was is mm-hmm. that period of time in history had the same thing that that historic church had. It had the key of David, and, and God had opened a door that no man could shut, and and he, eventually. Mm-hmm. And obviously he can shut it and no man can open it. But at that point, he had opened up this door for this incredible work to be going to be going on. And we just see that they were they had the authority and the access to the treasures of God, to the word of God and to the work of God. Right. They had the authority and access to all of those things. And. And they were able to be used in some unbelievable ways. What a period of time it must have been to be going up through, to be growing up in. I would love to just be a fly on the wall just to see how drastically different it is from the day and age that we're living in right now. Um, mm-hmm. But they, but they had the, they had the key of, they had the key of David, and we have to believe yeah. that it was a group of people who, like David had fallen madly in love with the word of God. Um, and, 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 and I, obviously when you compare scripture with scripture, I, I, I think that, I, I don't think that's much of a stretch. Right. Yeah. No. And I think the thing that you're pointing out is that, you know, we often refer to that time period, you know, that kind of post reformation time period as, uh, in the church, um, as the, the great awakening, um, and then there's the, obviously the second great awakening, but, but in that first great awakening, like you said, missionaries, and it wasn't like it was easy. These weren't easy decisions, uh, to believe God's word at face value and to go out and say, you know what, if the great commission is a thing, um, I don't care if anybody else is going to go, I'm going to India, I'm going to Africa, I'm going to inland China, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach souls. And so yeah. that perspective or that approach to God's word, uh, coinciding with the key of David, God opening a door uh, liberally, just saying, okay, uh, you know, according to your faith, be it unto you. I will open this door and no man will shut it. And I will give you opportunity like for the church uh, in ways that they've never seen it before. And uh, and obviously we've seen so many souls. In fact, the way that, the reason America looks the way it does in term, terms of the landscape of churches here the many, many thousands and thousands of churches all over our country is a direct result of the fact that, that God used these men in this time period in a very unique, unique way. Yes, yes, absolutely. And man, there's so much that we can glean inspirationally 
and, and devotionally from that. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. obviously, my gracious, it, you, we can't help but when we're studying the key of David, it's like you can't help but look at that thing and just be like, okay, wow, what could God do with me if I passionately mm-hmm. fell in love with his word and I actually truly, genuinely loved loved it and obviously loved the word of God and the God of the word and and man, how could how could God use me? What what kind of treasures could be unlocked? What kind of ways could he yeah. could he use me? Even in this, you know, Laodicean age, what kind of ways could he use a guy like me if I just madly fell in love with the word of God and I woke up one day and I looked and the key of David was on my shoulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, th- I think that's really the next question that I have for you is that when we're talking about this authority and access, how does that apply to us as ministers today? Like, how do we take the Philadelphian church age and make that personal to us? You know, um, we, we don't, as individuals, we don't have the, uh, the power to recreate a church age that looks like that, but we do have power over our own lives. God's given us free agency. Yeah. And he's given us the ability uh, to engage him just the way that we read here in Revelation chapter three, we have we have the ability to do that. So, what does it mean to have that authority and access in our personal lives? How does that how does that transpire, and what does that establish in us? Yeah, for sure. I, I you know I, I think as far as certainly what it establishes is is the 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 prospect of God's hand being on our lives in in an incredible way and seeing. In, in fruit bearing that we never dreamed possible in our lives. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we're there, there's somebody else that we're fighting the love of every day, and it's that guy that we mm-hmm. shave in the mirror. Where based on the look of you, you have uh, you shave, you know, every few months in the mirror. Trim, and trim. I, yeah, you, you trim every few months. But however that however that goes, the guy we look at in the mirror every morning that's the guy that we keep fighting because we're so in love with ourselves. It's hard to, it's mm-hmm. hard to have anything left for God. And so, you know, obviously there, there's, there's something to be said <laughs> to, to that. And of course, dying to self and madly falling in love with the word of God. Um, but I think, you know, in Christianity collectively, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge a great challenge to do that because the vast majority of Christianity doesn't actually believe that they can open up the word of God and have a perfectly inerrant inspired book to fall in love with, to begin with. And Mm -hmm. in, in that, in my estimation is, is huge. You know, I, you know, I, I know my, my, my dad would give testimony in his life. Everything changed when he had the ability to open that book and he believed every single word that was in that book. Um, and, and not with right. the overlay of original manuscripts that we've never had, you know, not none of that, but that we actually right. had it, that he actually did what he said he was going to do and he preserved it and it's perfect. He, he Inside his word, mm-hmm. he promised that he would do that. And to be crazy enough to open it up and to actually believe that, that, that is a, is a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, anecdotally using your dad's li- life as an example of that, 
um, you know, he he has said even on the show he talked about <clears throat> how in ministry he felt like he was spinning his wheels, and he was reliant on the commentaries of other pastors and teachers, and and that he couldn't seem to get traction in the lives of people, like. And it was because he didn't know himself how to study God's word so that it made application. So what was he what was he to teach others, right? Like so I think he felt stuck. Now when he realized that he had a preserved word of God and that he could trust it and that it was his authority, everything began to change in terms of his approach to ministry, his approach to people. He saw souls in a different way. And he was more uh, confident in what he was presenting. And I think, so your dad functions as a really great example of that. And one of the things that he writes about in the book is that the key of David is the key that opens spiritual eyes. What does he mean by that? Explain that, that concept. It's, it's a key that opens spiritual eyes. Well, it, he, it, it opens spiritual eyes because, you know, the book, the Bible spiritually discerned. And so, you know, God will... That whole access and authority. Well, part of the access part of that whole thing is, is that he is revealing things to you through his word. My goodness, the the riches and the depth of that book. But God, but God does doesn't mm-hmm. just unlock that to every to everyone. And so this this reverential attitude and and love for the word of God, that approach. That's what that's what God is looking for, you know, and 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 it, and it's also something that I find almost impossible to do if you believe that the Bible you're using has errors, because you have you have a mm-hmm. reverential approach to something that claims to be the Word of God that you self admittedly believe has right. errors, and 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 right. that is that is extremely problematic. I've been I've been teaching through the book of First Thessalonians, and there's a a verse in there that's such a huge one, a monumental one, and, and it's First Thessalonians two, uh, thirteen, and and it talks mm. about approaching it, approaching the word as it is in truth, the word of God, and not the word of men. And man, right. what a what a <laughs> that thing packs a punch, man, because what you're talking about is, is that, okay, if the Bible is the, if Jesus is the word of God and everything that's true of the incarnate mm-hmm. word of God is true of the written word of God, well, then it, it's, it's got to be perfect and it's got to be eternal. Those are essential. Uh, the, those are mm-hmm. essential to Jesus nature. Not to mention the fact that the Bible makes both of those claims about itself. It claims that it's perfect, and it's, he claims that he'll preserve it. And so, and so what are you left mm-hmm. with with, prese- with approaching the Bible with a passionate love and reverential attitude towards something that you don't believe that he fulfilled his own promises in the Bible? You believe it has error. You believe he didn't preserve it like he said he would, and just start going down the list— but, but in that right. passage in First Thessalonians uh, 2.13, what he says is, is that when you approach it and you, as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of man, when you approach it that way, he says it effectually worketh in those that believe. It effectually mm-hmm. works in those who actually approach it believing 
that it's the word of God or, or it's got a fruitful work to those who actually approach it that way. And I think that really ties in a lot with the key of David. Yeah. And so those, those truths become unlocked for people who are willing to see them as they are. Uh, you know, and I think when you approach God's word with a skeptical attitude, it will, uh, by its very nature, restrict you from access to truths that God has laid on right. the table. You know, you're you're effectively sitting at a buffet uh, with all of the most wonderful food, but because you think that half the food is poisoned when it's not, uh, it restricts your your eating. You know, you you don't get to to feast right. uh, at the table. And I think you have to approach the table believingly that all the food is good because God's called it good and, and that it's perfect. And so once you begin to approach the Bible that way, it, it, you begin to feast and understand and, and have a- access to information that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to see as truth. The key of David is intended to make blind men see. I mean, the, ultimately, that when you have faith in God's word and you don't approach it skeptically, that it gives us spiritual eyes between the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and the, the truth of God's word. Things are illuminated to us in a way that they wouldn't be otherwise. Um, but also there's an aspect for which the key of David promotes in us fruitfulness and an open door. And so maybe you could speak to that just a little bit. Approaching God's word like, like David did and with, with, that, with that passion and with that reverence, we, we see that it, it's connected to the uh, un, unleashing of, of God's work as well. Yeah, it's, we, we, it's a God's word for sure, but also it connected to God's work as, we're, as we look at how the key of David is used in those two passages. And then as we compare scripture with scripture from there. And so it just it, it, it unlocks this work. It go it, it, you know it goes back to the the First Thessalonians two thirteen. It goes back to that. It goes back. It's a it, it's a it's a it's a fruitful work. Um, it's an effectual mm-hmm. work. Is what comes out of it when you approach God's word, believing and and certainly and certainly when you love it, right? And and it's and it's and it's very hard to disconnect fruit from 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 love and intimacy love and intimacy in the physical world equals equals fruit bearing of physical children in the in, in the physical world mm-hmm. and in the spiritual world it's you know it's the same way we this intimate relationship where we have fallen in love with the word of god and the god of the word in this intimate relationship well what happens out of that naturally is is, is it's fruit there you bear fruit yeah. And so these things all end up kind of in- intertwined that way. Yeah, it only makes sense that if you get close to God, that you get his heart. And if you get his heart, you you will emphasize and focus on the things that his heart is bent towards. And that's the Great Commission and the winning of souls and the furtherance of his kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. And so it will very naturally produce in you the things that God wants to be true. Uh, he wants us to not be barren. He wants us to be fruitful. Yes. And so, yeah, so I, that, I, I love that that part of it because um, I think ultimately a lot of Christians are looking around at their circumstances and they're saying, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I've been a believer 
you know, for a long period of time. And, and um, man, I, I haven't ever led anyone to the Lord. I've never discipled anybody. I've never made an investment. I, I have not been fruitful. And so they assess their lives and they say, well, I'm, I'm saved, but man, how come I've never been fruitful? Mm. Well, I, you know, I think what we're suggesting is that is that maybe that has something to do with your approach to God's word and whether or not studying God's word is something of significance to you. Yes. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't... the the, the intimacy factor, you know, it, 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 it is part of the equation as far as it, fruit bearing is concerned. And, and mm-hmm. that, that love towards God's word is, is, is part of what is generating this intimate relationship because you're spending this time and you've, you've fallen in love with God over the course of this time in his word. And it really is, it's, you can't separate it from the intimacy and you really can't separate the intimacy from the time, you know? And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so you, you've got sure. to, you invest that time and spend that time and have that approach to the word when you're spending that time and you're, you're creating the, this intimate relationship with the Lord, the one that he desires to have, the one that he died on the cross so that we could have and so that could be restored. Mm. He didn't, he didn't go through all of that so that we could talk a couple times a week and, and, and be cool with each other. No, he went through all that so that we could have a relationship so that we could truly know him. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Chris Allred. Uh, My wife, Lindsay, and I are at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia, where we've been for about six years. We've served in a lot of different ministries, uh, but our main function has been to lead the middle school ministry for the past five years, up until this past August, where we've transitioned into leading our high school student ministry. Uh, We've been taking LFBI classes for a few years now, and and they've been a, a really big blessing in our life. They've been instrumental in our training and our growth process. Proverbs 11 says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's exactly what LFBI has been for us, a multitude of counselors. Uh, not only do we do we get some biblical knowledge and some doctrinal training, but we have pastors and missionaries teaching these classes uh, that have a lot of experience in ministry and are able to, to not just teach us from a book, but actually uh, pour some wisdom into our lives from their experience and, and help to, to prepare us and train us for leadership and make us into more godly leaders and ministers. And, and LFBI has been a huge blessing, and I believe it's done just that in my life uh, thus far. I've, I've got godly men helping me to become a godly man. And I'm very grateful for LFBI. It's been a huge blessing. Visit LFBI.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. And now back to the show. Mm-hmm. And and I think this goes back to the idea that so many Christians are reliant on the pulpit ministry of their church uh, for, um, in terms of like establishing some form of proximity to God. Like that's their their only encounter with with Christ throughout the week is is a Sunday morning service, and and ultimately they're depriving themselves of something much greater. Maybe speak to that because I think that's you know as, as we as we kind of wind the episode down, I think it's really important for people to hear the value and the importance of, of meeting with God for themselves. Right. Right. You know, you're the, the pulpit ministry is of unbelievable value in, in the body of Christ and in the, in the life of an individual believer without question. 
Um, but man, that one-on-one relationship that you're having with the Lord, that's fantastic that, you know, God, that pre time of preaching is God ordained. And so, man, I, that, that should be, uh, you know, God wants to use that in our lives, but he never designed that to be our, the only time that we're getting fed. Uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. in the physical world, if that was the only time each week you were getting fed, you, you would be, you would, <laughs> you, yeah, you, would you, survive. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't survive it. That's right. You would be skinnier than was, what was healthy. Let's just say that. And mm-hmm. so, right. you know, it, it, and it's the same way in our, in our spiritual walk. And then in, in also understanding something as you're approaching his word, understanding that the God of the universe desires to spend time with, with you. Like that, that's a, that's a, that's a mind boggling thought. It's an unfathomable thought, but the God of the universe desires to spend time with you. And when, when you can approach it that way, I, I, and you understand those things, I I think that it, it, it changes things. You actually desire to get into his word and not just listen to your Sunday sermon and kind of go on for the week. That's great that you're getting that sermon in, but but man, the that that one-on-one relationship that he wants to have, you you you're not going to get it from just that. No, no. So you know, let's say that someone does d- desire to know God intimately in His Word, and and they're beginning to uh, turn their attention to the Bible. It's becoming a priority in their life. They're building habits of of of, of being in the Word, maybe devotionally. Mm-hmm. Why is it so important for people to learn the other keys? Right, so the key of David is kind of this overarching, um, you know, concept under which all of these, you know, uh, hermeneutic principles that have existed for long before us, long before your dad, long before the men that we respect in the faith. There's these principles that God's word has taught about how to approach it, how to study it. Maybe you can share some of those keys with us now, and then. Um, uh, tell us, you know, why it's so significant to learn them um, in order to approach your Bible the right way. Right, and so, so we know that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. And so, <laughs> you know, the, we 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 don't want to be ashamed. Okay, we we know that we know that much. That's a, so not being ashamed is associated with study, and of course, these mm-hmm. are the keys of Bible study. And so not doing this and not studying the Bible like this, well, according to the Bible, it leaves you set up for failure. You're set up to be ashamed. And so mm-hmm. there's, there, it's, it's of infinite value to learn these keys of Bible study because, not, for one, so that we're not also tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Certainly we don't want to be ashamed but we don't want to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because these winds of doctrine are taking people places and mm-hmm. taking people places practically in their lives. And they can also be taking people places eternally, right? If you're, if you're not rightly dividing the word and you're, you believe in baptismal regeneration, like you're finding yourself in a position where you're not even saved. Mm-hmm. And so you, you these these keys are are extremely vital. Of course, you don't want to take 
anything that anybody says from the pulpit at face value and any preacher worth his salt is going to tell you, hey, go to the Word and, and prove that what I'm telling you is true. Because the reality mm-hmm. is, is this. There's a ton of, if we're going to base it on smart people and theologians, well, they're on all sides. And so yeah. that doesn't settle anything. But you, yeah. God has given us the ability to be able to study His Word and to be able to rightly divide His Word so that we're not ashamed. And these are some of, of the biblically definable tools that can be used in order to do that, you know, and there, there are tools in there. Obviously, the, the key of context is a, is a huge one because that is the kind of the linchpin of all the different religions is that somebody's got it out of context because they can't yeah. both be true. So somebody's got it out of context. That mm-hmm. obviously being a huge one, understanding how it is that you can keep a passage in its context. It isn't always just as simple as reading a verse before it and reading a verse after it. If you really want to keep it in context, you you keep going out further to the passage, to the chapter, into the book, and in into the whole of Scripture. And so you're you're doing all of, you're doing you're doing these you're, you have to do these things within that key of context. You know, and a, another key that's in there would be the key of comparison. Is of course we usually call it um, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and so. You know, we that's that's a, of course a very popular one that that many circles talk about. But that's what the key of comparison is. If we go outside of the Bible to define what's inside of the Bible, then what's outside of the Bible is our ultimate source of truth. And so we compare Scripture with Scripture in the key of comparison. the The key of words is a, is another one in there that's so that's so valuable. Right? The key to the Word of God are the words of God. And mm-hmm. that does keep bringing us back to in the inerrancy of Scripture and, and also his promise that he would preserve not just his ideas and concepts, but that he would, that he would preserve every word. And, right. and, and, and again, the key to the word of God being the words of God, because each individual word matters. So, there, there, you know, that's, you know, just a, a taste of, of some of those major keys that are in there that, man, they make they make all the difference in the world because the reality is there's going to be people that fall off into hell one day holding on to a Bible verse on the way down. Mm. And, and that's a scary, scary truth and a scary reality. But our adversary, the devil, is at work. And he is at work to destroy and to deceive and to get us to question the word of God. And, and he, he's getting them tangled up by the millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, we, you know, in order to avoid the confusion uh, of the talking heads, um, I think we have to, to learn uh, how to rightly divide, which means there is a right form, you know, and that means that there are false forms and there are people that are approaching God's word in ways that, that would ultimately result in false conclusions. And so I think I think your dad's book does a wonderful job of making those truths accessible to a generation of people who've forgotten them, um, which I think was one of his, his, uh, his concerns was that these were things that had been handed down to him. These are truths of, of study 
that have been handed down to him that have been forgotten in recent generations. And so I'm really thankful for the book. I'm thankful that for the time that he put into it because ultimately it's it's a lifeline to um, you know, a generation of people who have been taught to be skeptical of God's word. Right, right. Yes, yes, a- absolutely. If he, um, I know he was glad to be one more voice out there trying to continue to push some of these things that were so vital in his life and in his growth and hopefully continue it for, you know, young bucks like us. Yeah, right. I'm not feeling so young. But um, man, dude, I'm so grateful for you, Justin. Uh, You're a dear friend. And I'm thankful for the time that we get to spend together doing stuff like this. Likewise, bro. Likewise. Yeah, man. Love you too. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you again soon, man. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Looking forward to it, bro. And we want to thank you guys as well uh, for hanging out with us, for listening in. Um, You know, as, as, Justin and I alluded to, a lot of the Living Faith Fellowship churches have mechanisms for teaching these principles of study. And and so through discipleship in your local church, if you're a part of a Living Faith Fellowship church, we want to encourage you to use those uh, classroom environments or those study opportunities, small group Bible studies, where these types of hermeneutics are being reinforced, the keys of Bible study. But if, if you're recognizing that you have a desire, a burning desire to learn God's Word, we also want to invite you to consider LFBI. And so you can learn more about our classes at lfbi.org. If you're looking specifically to learn how to study your Bible, uh, consider consider Foundations 2 and Foundations 3 as, as opportunities for you to, to learn and to study God's Word at a deeper level to get a grasp of these keys of Bible study, as well as our hermeneutics class uh, taught by Greg Axe. And in both of those classes, we utilize Mark Trotter's book, uh, to help guide and teach our students. And so uh, if that's of interest to you, visit lfbi.org and, and look at our classes that we have um, uh, coming up in the next semester. But with all that said, we love you. We're grateful for you. Uh, we're thankful. Justin and I both are thankful for the opportunity to talk about this this topic. And, and we pray that your passion for God's word would continue to grow. And uh, we love you. God bless you. And we'll see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org slash support.